Welcome, everybody, to the fifth episode of the FearCast. The FearCast, for those of you who are new to it, is the podcast addressing your questions about anxiety and OCD recovery. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in anxiety spectrum disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. I know it's been a while since my last episode. Uh, it turns out things get in the way. I would love to do these more often, but um, things sometimes just get in the way and still wrestling with my calendar and when I can get these done. But that's no excuse. I would love to do these more. Uh, please keep your questions coming or your comments coming. Um, one thing that I would love to hear about is not only your questions about anxiety or uh, OCD or uh, uh, worries that you've had and how you've dealt with it, um, but also any comments that you might have about topics that you would like me to discuss or, or things that, uh, or even suggestions on how to make the podcast better in some sort of way. Uh, please let me know. Uh, you can always. Um, Give us a call, or you can send, you can visit the website www.fearcastpodcast.com. You can leave a question or a comment there. That would be great. Um, by the way, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fearcast Podcast. Um, I think that's for both. So uh, on Facebook, like the page or visit the page Fearcast Podcast. Uh, and on Instagram, I post some things from time to time. I try to keep things light, um, but visit me there, like the page, or follow me there. That would be great. Also, if you visit those pages, leave a comment. Let me know who you are, what you're about, because um, I, I, I want to get to know uh, you all who are listening to the show, uh, specifically about how it is that, uh, or what, what topics that we can go over and, 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 and how I can help in some sort of way. I wanted to talk about something that I was actually talking about with a friend of mine recently, uh, and it was actually a topic that... Um, is something that I've even worried about and stressed about throughout the course of my life. Uh, and it's the anxiety about getting fired. So this is something that uh, isn't really talked about, isn't really covered in a lot of uh, blogs or books or things like that. Um, this is just one way that anxiety can manifest itself. Now, this is the, the fear of getting fired is one of those things that um, can really uh, bridge the gap between a generalized anxiety and a, 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 an OCD fear. And the difference or the way that it's going to jump from one to the other is going to be based on the severity of the symptoms, the sev uh, how often the thoughts are there, how intensely one is feeling it, and the things that one is doing, the lengths that someone is going to, to try to get themselves reassurance or comfort that everything's all right and they're not about to be fired. So this is a fear that I actually had uh, at pretty much every job I've had since I was 15. It was always this kind of lingering thought in the back of my head about whether or not I was going to get fired. It was sometimes like the the uh, every time my boss called, it was, well, you know, here, here it comes. Um, and it was something that I had struggled with. So um, I thought this would be a, a reasonable thing for us to talk about. So the ways that this fear can present itself might be different from person to person, and the way that the obsession is uh, or, or the anxiety is showing up uh, might vary uh, across the board. So um, uh, here are a couple of ways that it can manifest itself. Um, for, for the first one, um, dreading conversations with bosses or supervisors, kind of the, the uh, thing I just mentioned, assuming that they're always about to fire you. Uh, another way is kind of being hyper vigilant towards your coworkers or your supervisors, kind of noticing what they're doing, how they're acting. One thing can be uh, noticing that they just hired a new person, 
So having the thought that comes up that, that says, well, they just hired that person, well, now they're about to fire me. This anxiety can also show up in comparison to other coworkers. So assuming that their performance or their experience is always somehow better than yours. Someone can find themselves ruminating about their past flubs or errors they've had at work. We've all had mistakes at work, but someone can get really caught up with those and just, just dwelling on those. Another might be nitpicking your own performance um, and, and kind of judging yourself and just looking at all the, the, the little, little things or questioning, did I do this right? Did I not do this right? Another one, uh, another one similarly, scrutinizing your experience or your skills uh, to find evidence as to why it is that you're about to get fired. So this is just like all the other anxieties we have out there. There's an obsessive thought, this, this fear, this what-if story that your brain is telling you. Now, remember, all these thoughts that we're having are neutral. There are thoughts that we can all consider. Your brain is just thinking a thought. Hey, I wonder if you're about to be fired. Well, it's something to, to consider, sure. But that story that our brain tells us can sometimes get really uncomfortable. And it tells us this very elaborate story, or this very sometimes this very simple story. The elaborate story can be, uh, they're, they're going to call me in and it's going to, and they're going to sit me down and they're going to have a conversation and uh, they're going to talk about all the ways that I've been messing up or just they've been displeased with my performance or, man, they just don't like me uh, and they've got to let me go. And then sometimes that story keeps going and then I got to go home. I got to tell my spouse or I've got to tell my boyfriend or girlfriend or I'm just going to, I'm going to have no job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car, all, all this stuff. And it goes on and on and on to infinity. Sometimes just it's, it's very simple. The thought. What if I'm about to get fired? So that thought obviously makes us feel uncomfortable. Now, because you and I would rather not feel uncomfortable, we're going to try to do something to make ourselves feel better, to kind of give ourselves some reassurance and get back to a place of comfort and a place of emotional safety with this thought. So we're going to do something to try to make ourselves feel better. This would be a compulsion in the OCD framework. And from that, then we start to feel better, but it also reinforces this whole idea because we went through this whole rigmarole to try to prove that we weren't going to get fired. So where does this thought even come from? Why is this thought even there? It's reasonable to have this thought or to kind of question for yourself where these obsessions or where these fears are coming from for you if these are something or if this is something that you're dealing with. Now, this can obviously become a compulsion of, of rumination. This is where the pure O thoughts or the pure O uh, stuff oftentimes comes in. But um, we can spend a little bit of time maybe chatting with a friend of ours or even with a therapist of ours uh, about these issues to see where they may be coming from. So this thought can be connected to two kind of main ideas. So these two main ideas are insecurity with yourself and, and it, just the fact that you have an overactive and overprotective brain. Now, recognizing which one is affecting you or the ratio to which they're affecting you can really help you to develop a greater understanding of your anxiety and point you in the right direction for recovery. So let's talk about the insecurity about yourself. So the fear about being fired may be coming from a legitimate recognition about your gaps in knowledge or skill set at the job that you have. Another can be distorted views about your own performance. So 
identifying that we're doing our job, but our brain is getting in our way as usual and is blowing things out of proportion or is ignoring some things or is is only focusing on one narrow bit of information or is just kind of going left field with things and giving you some inaccurate thoughts. Another aspect about the insecurity about ourself that might be related to this fear about being fired can be just a global negative view about your capacity to succeed. There can kind of be this this self-doubt that, uh, that, that, that we can get there. Now, this can be uh, very conscious or it can be kind of a, a, a subconscious sort of thing where we get into some mental or emotional self-sabotage, where we kind of screw ourselves up somehow, or we trip over ourselves in some way. Sometimes this negative global view can be these self-statements about, I'm just not good enough. I can't succeed. I'm not as good as other people. Uh, the management position, man, I'm just not cut out for that. If you're having some of these thoughts, there might you might be experiencing this global negative view about yourself that, that ought to be challenged. Another thought that can oftentimes show up that can be related to an insecurity about yourself um, is just the idea of the world is out to get me. It can kind of be this bigger view that I'm always just one step below everybody else. Or that despite my best efforts, something is going to happen that's going to screw me over, that's going to make me fail. None of these are very fun thoughts, obviously. Now let's switch over to talking about how your brain is just kind of overactive and you have an overprotective brain. So let's remember that part of your brain's job is to give you these anxious thoughts. Sometimes we say, man, I don't want to have these thoughts. But the problem is, is that it's self-protective. It's there to try to keep you alive, to keep you safe. So in part, these thoughts, the fear about being fired, is your brain's appropriate use of anxiety and self-protection, but gone haywire, gone way overboard. Your brain is pointing out to you something that you don't want to happen, and it's giving it to you in a heck of a lot more frequency than you'd like, and probably a lot more intensity than you'd like. Now, we take that thought then, we recognize it that it's there, and we start to ruminate it on it. We start to think about, could this be real? Could this really happen? Sometimes that thought is then paired with this wildly uncomfortable feeling. We get that, that tightness in our chest, our heart starts racing, our stomach drops, and that in combination with our thoughts just accumulates into it feeling so intensely real. Now, this is actually something that's called thought-action fusion. Thought-action fusion is this phenomenon in which we have this thought in our head and we experience it as if it's real. Now, we then take this thought and we essentially equate it to reality. We're saying, I'm having a thought and it's, it could do one of two things. We're going to actually do a couple things. We can have a thought and that we can have this belief then that because we're having it, it means it's more likely that that thing is going to happen in the future. Now, it can also be that I have this thought and it means that it's, it's just going to happen. I, in other words, that I can manifest this thing happening. Now, there's a bunch of stuff online about thought action fusion. I would, I would encourage you to read it, but it, it's important to recognize that 
the thoughts that we have aren't the same as reality. They aren't the same as the actions that we have. Now, kind of a morality-based thought-action fusion is something that's more that more pertains to kind of harm thoughts or some other aspects about anxiety or OCD. But for this is that we need to remember that the thought that we have and the feelings that we have don't equate to reality or truth or predicting the future. But that's unfortunately one of the ways or one of the reasons that we might be having this thought uh, is that, again, that our brain's just looking out for us. All right, so let's say you've thought about this a little bit and you've kind of come to the conclusion, well, maybe it's maybe my brain is just really giving me this overprotective thought. I'm pretty good at my job. Um, so the question is always going to be now, what do I do about this? Step one, if you are someone who is having these intrusive thoughts about being fired, catch yourself in your negative and self-destructive rumination and refuse to go down that same path. Thinking this thought over and over and over again isn't helping. You've done it a bunch. It's just not working out for you anymore. So step one is catching yourself when you're thinking about it and then simply refusing to continue to beat yourself up, continue to actively participate in the thoughts about how you're messing up, what's going to happen, how you're going to recover. Just pull yourself back from it. Obviously easier said than done. Some of the things that we can do, we've talked about these in, in, in uh, particularly in the, in the uh, fourth episode on how to develop kind of a... Uh, an emergency kit for ourselves, thinking about some th or identifying some things that we can do instead of continuing to go down that same path that we've gone down a billion times. So if you haven't listened to that episode, check that one out as well. It's episode four. It's the beginning part. There may be some things in there that might be helpful for you. So second, it's helpful to develop a realistic assessment of your performance. So let's say it is, let's say you are having this fear that you're not good enough or something to that effect. Are there some things at my job that I could be doing better? So you can take a second to think about what have your bosses or other supervisors actually said about you? Have they said good things? Have they said bad things? Have they specifically said, hey, you need to be better at this? Or have they said, hey, you're really good at this thing. I love it when you do it like this. Have they said, um, you know, you're really good at X, but Y could use some improvement? Now, sometimes what our brain does is that hyper-focuses on Y and says, ah, see, this is why I'm going to get fired. But having that balance of, I'm actually good at X, Y could be better. Now, secondly, think about this. What have other reliable coworkers said? So I say reliable because you're not taking into account the weirdos at work, the people who are just there to, uh, uh, to mess with you or to make fun of you or to kind of rib you a little bit. So what have they said? Have they primarily said good things about your performance? Have they, have they pointed out some things that could be a little bit better? So we need to think about that for a little bit, then write down what some people have said. It can be really helpful to bring yourself back to a rational and reasonable mindset. Another thing to look at would be recognizing where your brain might be experiencing some cognitive distortions. So cognitive distortions are the fancy term or is the fancy therapy term for screwed up thinking. It's that our brain takes an idea that we have, skews it, twists it, messes with it in certain sort of ways, and then presents it to us as if we're not going to notice. But 
because we're talking about it and you're thinking about it, we are going to start to notice some of the ones that can get in the way. One can be tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is the distortion where we hyper-focus just on one thing, where it's, it's almost as if nothing else exists. Another one that can happen is magnifying. Magnifying is the distortion where we take one thing that we've done. Now, we recognize that there are other things that we've done in the past, maybe things that we've been good at, but man, we take that one thing that we messed up on and we magnify it and make that one so much more important than all the others. Another distortion that sometimes happens is crystal ball reading. This is essentially us telling ourselves that we can predict the future. We say, well, I've had the thought, I have the feeling, it said I'm going to be fired in the future. And we say, well, it must be right. We're essentially saying, I know, I know that I'm going to be fired. So they're cognitive distortions because they are screwed up thoughts. So with tunnel vision, instead of hyper-focusing on that one thing, backing yourself out a little bit to see what are the other aspects of my thoughts that might be a little bit more accurate? What might be another way to view this? Magnifying is also to then look at those other things that we are minimizing and bring them up in our mind to an appropriate level to say those other things are also important. This one aspect where I wasn't that great or I'm not that great at work, well, okay, I'm not that great at that, but here are all these other things that that would point to my my being actually pretty good at this job. My bosses said this, my coworkers say that I'm pretty good at my job. Sure, there was that one time that I got written up for that one thing, but that was a couple of years ago. You see where this is going. Crystal ball reading, flat out, we can't predict the future. We have no idea. So take some time to think about those distortions and to start thinking about those thoughts in a different way, seeing if you can challenge the legitimacy of those thoughts. Similar to this, is I want you to spend some time thinking about what am I really good at at my job. So to your self-appraisal, on a piece of paper, I want you to draw a line down the middle. And on one side, I want you to write down what you're really good at with your job. And then on the other side, what could I reasonably improve? Now, on one side, I want you to write down three tasks or skills that you have that you're reasonably good at. Now, you don't have to be the best at it but to be reasonably good at it or effective or skillful at. We don't need to be the best to still be good at our jobs. Now, on the other side, I want you to write down two things that you could improve at. These are aspects that are concrete. These are things that you could legitimately work on to get better. So now that you've written down some concrete things that you can do to get better at your job or some skills that you want to try to improve, I want you to make a plan for how you're gonna get there. So what are some steps you're gonna take? Re reasonable steps that you could take. I want you to put it down in a couple different increments. So first, what is something that I can do today that's gonna get me a little bit better at that skill? It might be pick up a book and read a chapter from, uh, read a chapter on that skill, or you're gonna watch that YouTube video on it, or you're gonna talk to a colleague about it. Second, you're going to think about what can I do this week? So this might be a little bit of a bigger task. It might be something that requires a little bit of planning. So it might be sitting down and talking with your supervisor or coworkers and uh, really hashing out a plan on how you can get better at that or interviewing them on, uh, on how they do this so well. Another point would be what is something that I can do this month that's going to help me to get better at that job or better at that skill? 
then then you're going to write down two more goals, one for a three-month goal and one for a six-month goal. So you're planning this out for something I could do today, this week, this month, in the next three months, and then in the next six months. So write down a couple of different ideas that you can do within those five frequencies. To the other point where we have this overactive thought life, this overactive brain that's just looking out for us, um, one thing that we can do that we've talked about before is scripting. So for those of you who don't know, scripting uh, is otherwise known as a cognitive exposure or an imaginal exposure. This is an exercise where we, we write down a story in first person and in present tense in which what we're afraid of actually happens. Now, the point of this is to write this story and read it and read it and read it until the content of it doesn't freak us out as much, that we're not terrified by the idea being fired. So notice in this, the first part of the conversation today was about what can I actually do to get better at my job if we think that that is part of the problem. Now, the other part now is how do I get used to the fact that I have this thought? So scripting is one great way to do that. So it can be in this script, it can be I'm being fired. It can be people are looking at me. It's, it can be my boss says that I'm terrible at my job. It can be that I can't support my family. And it kind of goes down this path. So you can write it in a couple different stories, a couple different formats. One can be um, just the, the narration in first person in the present tense of you actually being fired. It can be the script of all the things that your boss has said uh, in the middle of them firing you. Um, it, can be, it can be writing out uh, kind of a job interview, so writing out a fake or feared job review, rather, um, from your boss or from your supervisor, and it details explicitly and, and it is, is just mean and terrible and all the things you're afraid of them saying they would actually have written out in it. And then once you write it, the point of this is to raise your anxiety and make you feel uncomfortable to even think about this, but then you're going to reread it and reread it until you're completely bored with it. So recapping again from the, the number one thing to do with this is resist compulsive checking or reassurance seeking. So I want you to note how you are inappropriately asking, asking your boss, your coworkers for reassurance about your skills. Are you doing that? asking them if they think that you're good at your job. Make a hierarchy for these things that you're doing once you've written them out or noticed that you do them. And then every day, I want you to make a point to resist asking for reassurance or to resist doing one of those things on that list. Now, this is going to be difficult because you're going to then have to face and tolerate and shoulder that discomfort that you might get fired. We're going to be dealing with that thought that you might get fired, but we're taking that risk. So you're going to make a point to hold back on asking for that reassurance just for today and sitting in that feeling of fear that or feel, sitting in that urgency that you feel like you need to get that answer. But in that, take some deep breaths and remind yourself that that feeling, that urgency is eventually going to subside. You're eventually going to get over that feeling, but you've already asked for that reassurance a hundred thousand times before. So asking it this one more time is likely to not help. So lastly with this, you can practice acceptance and moving on. So one way to do this is to go into work every day with the mindset, you know what, maybe today's the day that I'm going to get fired, but 
I'm going to go into my job and I'm going to do it the best I possibly can until they do fire me. Now, when we do that, we're accepting the reality that sometimes your brain is going to give you this thought, but that not all thoughts are reasonable, not all thoughts are helpful or, or even worth your time. So when that thought comes in, you could consider whether or not it's helpful for you right now, but likely it's not because you've thought about it a thousand times before and realistically, you know it's not helpful. So go into your jobs and when there's that pres the presence of that thought, saying though that thought is there, I'm instead of going to ask my coworker or sitting here in fear or calling in sick, I'm going to say, maybe today is going to be the day that I am going to be fired, but I'm going to not ask for that reassurance and I'm going to go in and do my job the best that I possibly can until they fire me. So I know it's going to be an uncomfortable step, but you can do it. And eventually, over time, this thought does get easier. I mentioned earlier on that uh, I myself had this thought, and I had this thought periodically, and that was my approach. I had said, you know what? If this is what's going to happen, bring it on. I'll get a different job. I'll do something else. This is not the end of the world. It's unlikely to be the end of the world if I do get fired. But... We'll see. Do I want to be fired? No, but we'll see what happens. But I'm not going to pretend like I can predict the future, but I can right now try to do the best job that I possibly can. So I will. So questions coming up. So Reddit user Marvelous T asked this question. I struggle with contamination OCD, and I would like to know, is it possible to get back to the old, in my OCD opinion, dirty self? I mean, like, get back to the state before OCD, or is that lost? So, Marvelous T, thanks so much for that question. So, you've probably heard it said that you can't step in the same river twice. If you are someone who has graduated college, you can't now be a person who has not graduated college. Even if you didn't do anything with your degree for the rest of your life or nothing else that you did in college was relevant, you are someone who has graduated college. So you've had that experience. Similarly, you are someone who has gone through or is going through contamination OCD. And you've gotten to the other side. Hopefully you've gotten to the other side of it. Now you said, how can I get back to my old dirty self? Well, in terms of washing away the experience that you had and saying, well, I just want to be my old self. I want to be me again. Well, you can't. And that's not bad. We don't need to be our old selves again. You're, you're you now. You're you who has gone through or is going through the hard work of treatment. Hopefully, you've gotten to the other end of it. And within, with being at the other end of it, you're now going to discover a new version of you. So we need to remember that we can't undo the past and we can't undo our previous experiences. But let me ask you this. What did you do before your OCD hit? What was your old, dirty self? What could you do? What did you not have to do? While you can't feel like this person again, maybe, or immediately think like that person again, maybe, but you can consider what you were doing and what you had done before all this happened. Make a list of all your current compulsions. What are all the things that you do in regards to contamination stuff? Then make a list of all your ideal 
behaviors? What do you ultimately want to do? So it's essentially this list is, what am I doing now? What do I eventually want to be? Now, this list of what, what I eventually want to be might be, this is what I was doing, and that's great. Now, now, now that you've made that list, make a point to incorporate one old behavior every week, and then stick to it until you've incorporated everything on that list. Put it into a hierarchy. Look at the easiest one that you can incorporate today. Do that one thing today. Your old behaviors. Now, again, this is going to be uncomfortable. This is an exposure, essentially. But you're going to do one thing off that list, and you're going to keep doing that for this week. And then you're going to go back to that list, and next week you're going to do the second thing on that list of what your, quote, old, dirty self was. And if you stick to it and you keep at it, eventually you're going to have gotten through all of the things on that list. But remember, you're not going to be your old self. You're you now. You're the you new version of you. So embrace it. Embrace that version of you and see who that person is, what, what they can do, and how you can live your life as best you possibly can as this new version of you. A Reddit user by the name Late Night Taco Bell, fantastic username by the way, asked over at the OCD subreddit, I think it would be interesting to discuss the various intensities of OCD. I have a mild to moderate form of OCD, mainly intrusive thoughts. Thoughts like, I have to leave work to check if something was turned off at home a couple of times when I knew it was. I think when people think OCD, they automatically assume it's self-harm, compulsive checking, that type of thing. But I think many people are on the spectrum and may not realize it. My recent relationship drove me to figure out why I have certain thought patterns, and that's how I figured out my thoughts have OCD traits. Since learning that, this sub, the, uh, the, the OCD subreddit, has really helped me immensely in dealing with my traditional thought patterns. So, late not Taco Bell, thanks so much. Thanks so much for that question. So when reading your question, what really came up to me was the, the shirts and the memes and the things you read on Facebook of, I'm so OCD. I'm so OCD about this. And that really, that, that huge misconception that people have about what OCD is and what it isn't. And everyone seems to want to attribute, kind of like what you're talking about, everyone wants to attribute their quirk or their particular interest or the thing that they're very particular about, um, that they want to call that OCD. And I think because in popular media, what they usually portray as OCD is someone who lines things up or who cleans in, in a, a very prescriptive manner. And yes, while that can be OCD, a, a, a lot of us who are in the know know that there are so many other types or subtypes or different manifestations of how OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders manifest themselves. I tend to think the reason that uh, uh, washing and cleaning and organizing and things like that are, are, are more popular um, in movies and TV is because it's very visual. It's super easy to show that somebody is washing over and over and over again. For the vast majority of folks that, that I see, if they really wanted to show what OCD is, they would show someone who is racked with guilt and who is in their head constantly, who is perhaps missing bits of conversation or who is not completely present with their friends and family or at work uh, because they're thinking about something over and over and over again. They're thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Um, usually that's or sometimes maybe that's that, that's what uh, that's what they would show. But uh, it's very hard to show that on TV. So you tend to think that a lot of people are on the spectrum. And um, 
to a certain degree, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. So I'm going to take a quick step into Nerdville. One of the main tests that's used to evaluate how someone ranks on OCD or how much their symptoms are impacting them is, a, is an assessment tool called the Y-Box, and it stands for the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale. So this is a questionnaire that perhaps if you saw a therapist out there um, that uh, they, they likely went through this or they went through a modified version of this. And uh, the, the traditional Y-Box test has 10 questions and they, and they all rank from zero to four. So there are five uh, uh, options for each question. So each question is going to get at a, a specific part of, uh, of symptoms that will ultimately show how much someone's OCD or their anxiety is impacting their life. Some of the questions are going to be related to time occupied by obsessive thoughts, the interference due to the obsessive thoughts, the resistance against the obsessions, the time spent performing compulsive behaviors, the distress associated with the compulsive behaviors, the degree to control that someone has over those compulsive behaviors. You kind of see where this is going. So they're going to rank, uh, they're going to ask those questions. They're going to rank the answers from zero, so uh, uh, no symptom whatsoever, to four, which is an extreme symptom. So the maximum that someone can get is 40. So that is going to be an extreme form of OCD, and likely that is going to be uh, uh, needing the highest level of care. Now the question then is, at some point, where does someone become clinical? Well, according to the folks who put together the Y-Box, it's someone who scores an 8. An 8 and up is now clinical level OCD. So what happens to the zero to seven folks? So the zero to seven folks can sometimes be folks who do have some obsessions. They do find that they have some mental preoccupations. They do find them, them having difficulty seeming to control their thoughts or maybe controlling some of the behaviors they do, but they don't get in the way of their life so significantly or they don't, they're not causing that much of a problem. Now, this may be you or this may be someone you know out there. By the way, if you were to take this test at different points of your life, you might, you might rank differently on it. So at different times of our life, we're going to be higher or lower depending on the level of stressors in our life, the level of symptoms in our life. So we don't just, we're not just a certain number before treatment and then we're a certain number after treatment and then everything's fine. It's that we're going to fluctuate throughout our life. And that's very typical. So as I mentioned, everyone you've ever met is going to rank somewhere on the Y box to a certain degree. Now, people can have very simple obsessions. So these are some folks who maybe in the subclinical range might still have some uh, obsessions or preoccupations that they would recognize. So some simple ones can be having a song stuck in your head. I think we've all had this at some point in our life, that one like bit of a song, that like half a chorus of those three words of a song that's looped over and over and over again. That's kind of an obsession. It's an unwanted intrusive thought. Some folks who don't have, quote, OCD and anxiety, they will report having thoughts of jumping off a building or jumping off a high ledge. So if they're at a mall or if they're going hiking um, and they're kind of looking over the edge, they suddenly have this thought or kind of this feeling of jumping over. Now, they would say, of course, I'm never going to do it. And the vast majority of us, that's what we'd all say. But they say for whatever reason, eh, they just kind of get that thought. Now, they can take that thought and easily shrug that thought aside. Now, so on the Y-Box, they would still acknowledge that they are having an unwanted intrusive thought that may cause them a little bit of distress because that thought can be a little distressing, but their control over that thought might be 
higher than someone who is at a clinical range or clinical level of it. So we, they might not reach that clinical point. Another preoccupation or obsession can be perfectionism. We all know that person or you know some people or you might be that person who is perfectionistic about something, about their appearance, about their academics, about their work or something out there. Um, and their preoccupation with perfectionism, well, you know, trying to be perfect and trying to do, well, trying to do things really, really well isn't necessarily bad. When we believe into the delusion of perfectionism, then it can start getting problematic. But the person out there who's perfectionistic and straddles that line between adaptive perfectionism, I'm putting that in quotes you can't see, and maladaptive perfectionism, the stuff that actually causes a problem, that person might fall into that zero to seven range. Now, some also simple compulsions that people can run into, and we all know these people. Think of almost any athlete you've ever met. Simple superstitions. Knocking on wood. You've heard, you've heard or you've seen people do things like this. Athletes are notorious for this, that they're going to wear the same thing over and over again. They're going to come up to bat the same way. They're going to prepare for a game the same way. You might out there, someone out there has um, their lucky charm, their lucky tie, their lucky socks, stuff like that. They're going into a business meeting. Well, so they've got to have their cup of coffee done in just this way. It's a simple compulsion to try to control the outcome of the future that may or may not have any effect. Knocking on wood is not going to cause you to not have a car accident. Another simple compulsion are just right types of things. So I'll give you an example from my life. So my wife loves to point this out to me. Before I drank black coffee, I used to put coffee creamer um, in my uh, in my coffee. So that, you know, flavored coffee schmutz you've seen all over the place. So, uh, so I'd make the coffee and then I'd pour in my coffee and then it wouldn't feel quite right. So I'd just put a little extra drop in, just bloop, one little bit. Did it make a difference to the flavor of the coffee? No. Could I have told the difference between them? Probably not. But you know, for whatever reason, that was my just right compulsion. So bloop, I did it. And then I kind of moved on with my day. So it didn't cause a significant problem in my life. Could I stop myself from doing it? Sure. But did I give into it a lot? Yeah. So it's a simple compulsion. It didn't get in the way of my life. It just kind of got on with it. Another one that can sometimes show up a lot are ones that are, um, that, that, that I call the, I know I sound crazy obsessions or I know I sound crazy compulsions. And that's the double checking or triple checking uh, that, that, that the average person does. Hey, I, I know I asked you how to get to you know Joe's house, but uh, can you tell me just one more time? Or, okay, I know I read that thing on Wikipedia once, but I'm just going to double check it. Now, that can become a problem when they're checking it five, six, seven times. Shoot, it can be a problem when you're checking it the second time. But it's for the for someone who's in that zero to seven range, they might fall into that just simple double checking routine. Now, some things that OCD is not. One, it's not obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So this is OCPD. So these are two different diagnoses that are very confusing to a lot of people. But you can think about this way. OCPD, a person who's OCPD is going to be 
usually very preoccupied, very rigid in something in their life. So it might be that the records in their house need to be put in just a certain way. Their kitchen cabinets are, are, are organized in, in, in just so. Um, they really like their house clean. They demand it to be clean. Um, when we drive to, when we drive, we always drive in the slow lane because that's just what you do. Now, all of these can be symptoms of OCD, but with OCD, there is an ego dystonic relationship with those thoughts, meaning the thoughts don't make sense to somebody and they don't get anything from it necessarily. They don't enjoy it. It doesn't reflect who they are, what they're about, things like that. For someone with OCPD, these are usually egosyntonic behaviors, egosyntonic thoughts. So to them, having their kitchen cabinets organized just so makes sense to them. Why would you have it any other way? Why wouldn't you put the bowls on the left side and the plates on the right side? Duh, it just makes sense. Why, would you, why wouldn't you have the silverware in just this order? Because your right hand is going to go towards the knife because that's how you have it on the table? Duh, it just makes sense. And if you put it out of order, the person with OCPD might get upset, they might get angry, they might get annoyed, perturbed, fill in the blank. But usually it's not an anxiety which is what folks with OCD experience, meaning that there is a feared component to it. So the person with OCD might say, well, the knives have to go on the right side of the drawer because if they don't go on the right side of the drawer, I'm going to grab it and I'm going to stab my cousin. Or if they're not on the right side of the drawer, I don't know that they're clean. So somebody might get sick. So you can see how those two are different. Now, another thing that OCD is not is someone who notices that things are not aligned right, or they're not the same color, or that something is upside down. Sometimes you'll see this on, um, on Facebook or on Instagram. You'll see people posting a picture of tiles on the floor, and one of them is slightly off, or that uh, um, those, those dumb, if you answer any questions in this, you have OCD tests that you'll see where it's, you know, one circle is, you know, a, a pixel to the left of the other one. Now, this doesn't really identify someone with OCD. What it helps to identify is someone who is observant, who is perhaps detail-oriented. So they'll notice things. Guess what? A lot of people notice things. And guess what? It's not OCD. Stop that. Stop it because what you're really doing isn't identifying people with OCD of, well, Maybe you are identifying people with OCD because what you're doing is you're pissing off a lot of people with OCD. So if you find a bunch of pissed off people, okay, those might be the OCD people, but it's not a diagnostic test. So for those of you out there, someone who is answering those questions, just ignore it. Just ignore it. So that's not what OCD is. Another thing of what OCD is not is wanting things just the way you want it. So this is someone who's particular, and I say particular, and I'm being nice with that. Uh, now, in extreme forms of someone who just wants things the way they are, uh, we have a name for it, and we call them an a-hole. Uh, I think we all know that person who just wants it that way, and they defiantly want it that way. We're going to go to this restaurant because that's the way I want it. I'm so OCD about the restaurants that I go to. No, you're just kind of an a-hole. So that's not OCD. Now, in a future episode, I'm likely to cover how to confront people about OCD. So someone who's posting all this nonsense about, uh, oh, you, you answer this survey, you have OCD. Um, a, a simple way to confront them and to educate them about it. Um, but for right now, I'll, just a couple of points is that, um, one, you can confront that person and you can say, hey, uh, thanks for posting this. It's hilarious. But 
It's uh, it's not OCD, just to let you know. OCD is about anxiety, not just about being particular or observant. Uh, it's an opportunity that you could even, if you feel safe doing this, tell them about your obsessions and educate them about what uh, what you have gone through so that they know someone who has OCD. So they know next time, if they're going to post this, they're going to offend you. Throwing that out there. A third option is we can choose to just block that person or ignore that person. We don't need to answer those questions. We don't need to say anything necessarily. We can, we can just let it slide for that one time. So we don't need to fight every fight. But that's up to you. And again, we'll probably go over that in a little bit more detail on another episode. But uh, for you, Late Night Taco Bell, uh, yes, people can be on a spectrum of OCD. Now, we've, we've been talking a lot about folks who are in the zero to seven range. Now, people can be in the seven and up range and not be in a place where they are severely impacted in their life. So uh, as a score from 8 to 15 is considered mild, 16 to 23 is considered moderate, 24 to 31, um, and even, uh, 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 well, 24 to 31 are considered severe, and 32 to 40 are considered extreme. Now, people on the lower end of the scale can sometimes, can oftentimes be very uh, functional in their life. They can still get on with their responsibilities. They can still carry on relationships. Sometimes they just notice that things take a little bit more time. They're a little bit more annoying. They're bugged by their thoughts a little bit more. People can still carry on very productive lives, even though they have a clinical level of OCD. So this is where the level of functioning really comes in um, or causing marked distress is are are these thoughts stopping you from living the life that you want to be living are they preventing you from going out and challenging yourself and going out and effectively doing your job and having your relationships and doing the things that you ultimately want to do so often people don't seek treatment until those things are challenged or those things are getting taken away by the symptoms it's for some of these people, that's why this podcast exists, is to talk about what OCD is and to start thinking about when you'd be ready to challenge yourself and when you'd be ready to step in the ring and start uh, pushing back, as it were. Now, another thing in this is that we all know uh, um, OCD is not just harm or not just compulsive, but uh, there are all these myriads of subtypes. We've already referred to these uh, a few of them on previous episodes. And if you're interested, you can find articles and articles and articles talking about all the different subtypes that are out there. Um, there's uh, scrupulosity, which is uh, uh, religious or moral uh, preoccupations. We've talked about existential OCD. There's going to be, uh, uh, there are even other types that are going to be like sensory motor OCD, which is a preoccupation with a physical action or a physical sensation. So for example, uh, someone's preoccupied with their blinking or their breathing or the fact that they have hands or the sensations in other parts of their body. Uh, there can be uh, um, something called olfactory reference syndrome, ORS. So this is a, uh, a, an obsession where somebody believes that they smell bad or that other people think that they smell bad. So the compulsion with that is going to be cleaning themselves excessively. There's going to be a lot of avoidance. There's going to be using a ridiculous amount of perfume and cologne and smelling salts and changing and washing clothes a bunch of times throughout the day. So those are that, that's another form of, uh, uh, of an obsessive thought and an anxiety that can have a tremendous impact on their life. I've worked with folks who have ORS and they drop out of school, they quit their jobs, they break up with, in their relationships. 
simply because they are they are deathly afraid that somebody out there thinks that they smell bad. If I was going to address every single one of these subtypes, this one episode would be 14 hours long, and we probably wouldn't still get to all of them. So I'm not going to try to get to all of them. So Late Night Taco Bell, I hope I answered your question at least a little bit. So thanks so much for it. All right, everyone. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode of the FearCast. If you like the show, please tell a friend about it. You can find me on social media by liking the FearCast podcast page on Facebook, or you can follow me at FearCast Podcast on Instagram. Now, if you have a question for a future episode um, or uh, would like to leave a comment about uh, about the podcast, about how to make it better, what things you're interested in hearing about, uh, you can either leave me a voice message at 714-594-9281, or you can visit the website at www.fearcastpodcast.com. Click on the Submit a Question link and leave a message for me there. So if some of you listeners out there have had your own experience with fear of being fired and or, or that was an obsession of yours for a little while or still is, uh, call or write in. Um, let us know what it was like for you, how you obsessed about it, what you did um, in the middle of it, um, and maybe what did you do to actually get out of it if there was anything that, uh, that helped you move past it. We'd love to hear about it. As a reminder, the FearCast runs on your questions, so if you have any questions about social anxiety, phobia, OCD, or anything like this, um, please please uh, reach out and leave me a comment, because if you're dealing with it, odds are there is someone else in the world who is also struggling with the same issue and would love to find out more information about it. As a reminder, the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about finding a therapist or need some extra help in your recovery, you can visit the Find Help page at fearcastpodcast.com. So until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.